Friends, what a joy it is on this Lord's Day on Sunday to have you with us. It's a joy for me to study this book, this Bible with you. It's a joy to have you with each other studying it together. And we hope that our joy of studying the Bible as we hear the words of Christ would be contagious. And it would not only want us, lead us to pay attention now, but lead us to want to partake even after we leave. John chapter 6 is all about partaking. John chapter 6 is all about bread. It's called the bread of life discourse. Over and over again, the Bible, Jesus Christ, is teaching or multiplying bread. And as we study and as we walk through this chapter, it helps to remind us of the significance of food in our lives, right? It helps to remind us of what food means to us. At this point in John chapter 6, Jesus is being followed by a large crowd, a crowd that saw him multiply the bread and the fish. And this crowd is looking for more miracles and more food. How many of us know that oftentimes where there is a crowd, there is food. How many of us have ever heard that nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd? Well, it's especially true that nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd attracted to food. We love food. Why? Because food is not only fuel, food is not only fun, but food is also part of this journey in life. It brings people together and we connect certain foods to certain moments in life. We connect certain foods to certain times and seasons throughout our calendar year. In fact, we could probably even get rid of the names of our seasons, the names of our months, and we could know what time of year it is just by what's on the dinner table. What do I mean? For example, what food do we eat at Thanksgiving? Go ahead and tell me. Turkey, very good. What food do we eat at Easter? Ham. Ham, very good. You guys are good. You're on a 10 o'clock service. All right, Irishmen, we're all Irish on St. Patty's Day. What food do we eat on St. Patrick's Day? Very, very good. Now, this is the season in September and October where everything has gone pumpkin spice crazy, right? I literally saw an advertisement, no exaggeration, for a pumpkin spice flavored communion bread. Lord have mercy. <laughs> so while the whole world is going pumpkin spice crazy, I'm here waiting, waiting patiently, waiting diligently for when I walk through the aisles of my supermarket and when everyone else is going pumpkin spice crazy, I'm just counting down the time until I see eggnog in the, the supermarket aisle, right? <laughs> Who else is with me? It's coming. Eggnogs is coming back. When we think of eggnog, we think of not only its taste, but we think of its season. We think of what we celebrate. We think of that tradition. It brings back memories, does it not? So even as we partake of it, it's connected to important moments. Sometimes food is a reminder of life's monumental moments. What we're going to see in John chapter 6 is that there's three miraculous meals, three Miraculous meals. The first one we saw at the beginning of John chapter 6, 
where Jesus miraculously multiplies the bread and the fish. What we're going to hear about today is the Old Testament story of where God miraculously created manna from heaven for God's people Israel. But both of those miracles are a foreshadow. Both of those signs point to the ultimate destination. The multiplied bread and fish, the manna from heaven, are all an insight into who Christ is. Jesus reveals his provision. Jesus reveals his supply through this miraculous feast that mere bread and fish, that even the manna from heaven knows nothing about, the true greatest miracle that we're going to hear today is the miracle of a life changed because they have partaked of the bread of life, which is believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King. This message is going to remind us of a meal, and the meal is going to point us to a Messiah. But in the end, we have a question to ask. Will we believe it? Not only believe in Jesus, but will we believe the words of Jesus? Because if we do, everything will change. Everything will change forever. Let's look at the text. Let's look at the passage, shall we? The context for the text, if we remember, John chapter 6, this is right along the Sea of Tiberias. So a massive crowd is following Christ. A massive crowd is looking to Christ. A massive crowd wants Christ to perform more miracles. Let's look at verse 30. This is the word of the Lord. The crowd speaks. So they said to him, Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Let's stop right there. Now, if we wanted to assume the best about this crowd, we could assume that perhaps they are thinking theologically. It would seem that some people in this crowd, they know their Bible. They know uh, Moses and they know the Torah. And they remember that Moses' ministry was accompanied by a God-ordained miracle. Moses' ministry was accompanied by the God-ordained miracle of manna from heaven. So if Jesus is the prophet that Moses prophesied about, if Jesus is in fact greater than Moses, should Jesus now perform a sign and a miracle greater than the manna from heaven? But that's not their true interest. And that's definitely not their true intent. Because you remember from last week's study, Jesus revealed their heart. Jesus revealed that they're not just coming for healing, which would have been understandable. Jesus revealed that they're not even coming for the spectacle of miraculous signs, which would be superficial. No, they're coming and they're following and they're asking and yes, demanding because in the end, they're hungry and they want their bellies filled, which is just completely primal. The crowd is hungry. So even though this crowd saw Jesus perform the miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish, it's just hours later. It's just days later. And Jesus just said this. This is the work of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. They want to see another sign so that they might believe. 
But in the end, as we will see, they're not interested in believing. They're interested only in taking. They're not interested in having their souls filled. They're interested in only having their bellies filled. They're not interested in what Jesus is, who he is, but only what he can give them. And this happens in our day and age as well. Oftentimes we can come to church and we could sit as a spectator and just say, all right, entertain me. Give me something. Show me something. We're going to start taking notes of how perfect the presentation was, how smooth the music was, the subtleties of the greeter ministry or the children's ministry or the youth ministry. And then all of a sudden, man, if everything doesn't check my list, then all of a sudden we start grumbling, right? So to a certain degree, yes, it is possible that we can have, if not a desire to see literal miracles when we walk into church, a desire to be entertained, a desire to have the people in church serve you for your most basic and base needs, right? It is possible. It is tragically possible in American society today to have a really big church filled with the largest of crowds and have the lowest number of true believers. True or false? It's true. It's tragically. I mean, it should make us weep, right? That it is possible in today's American society to have big churches filled with the largest crowds and the lowest number of true believers. But here's the good news. This has always been the case. When we return back to the very life of Christ, here comes the crowd. They want to see miracles. They want to see more. They just saw a miracle. They just saw Jesus feed enough people to fill Madison Square Garden. It's hours later. Give us some more. You see, they're hungry, but they're not hungry for Christ. They're hungry for food. Show us another miracle. Entertain us. As I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I couldn't help but think my thoughts just kept going back to the music I grew up with. And it's not necessarily good music. It's Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. And the one song, Smells Like Teen Spirit, kept rattling in my brain. And tragically, I kept thinking, is this, t- is this the church today? Where Kurt Cobain said of his generation, summarizing their posture, he said, here we are now, entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here, I, here we are now entertain us because the masses in the crowds came to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you perform another miracle? And preferably, if it is another miracle, hopefully it involves more food for our bellies. So the crowd wanted another miracle. What is Jesus about to say? I love this. Ready? He says, I am the miracle. The crowd wanted their bellies full. Jesus came to fill their souls as much as he came to fill their bellies. The story continues in verse 31. The crowd continues with their request. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they alluding to here? What are they remembering here? You can read about it in Exodus chapter 16. After God had supernaturally delivered his people Israel from a bondage and a tyranny that they could not save themselves from. I want you to think in light of the gospel what you're about to hear. He saved Israel from bondage in Egypt, tyranny 
from tyranny under Pharaoh, and he brought them out to a place where he would make a covenant with them, reveal his law. He sets them free so that they would live free, and then not only saves them, but provides for them with supernatural food from heaven. Amazing, astounding. Here's how the story goes. You don't have to turn to it. It's in Exodus 16, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, this is very important, when the people of Israel saw the manna from heaven, they said, what is it? That is significance. For they did not know what it was. And Moses, who knew what it was, said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. God supernaturally creates bread and it rains from heaven. I mean, envision this. Every single day, Pop-Tarts falling from the clouds. (laughs) And we might think to ourselves, why did that generation ever grumble? Why did that generation so often struggle? God delivered them with amazing miracles, signs, and wonders, and now he's providing for them on a daily basis. And yet, what we are about to hear is that Jesus Christ is the true manna from heaven. Jesus Christ is the true bread from the Father. That that generation didn't have and didn't know what we enjoy now. That that manna only lasted for a day. But to know the true manna from heaven, Jesus Christ, that changes you forever. And yet oftentimes, tragically, we can grumble. In the same way that generation would often doubt God, get angry with God, get frustrated with God, we have something even more powerful than what they had. And yes, it would seem that grumbling sometimes continues. Jesus explains further in verse 32. Verse 32 of John 6 says this, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Remember, everything Jesus ever said was true. When he says truly, truly, that means our ears need to perk up because this is really important. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying is that Moses didn't give you the manna. He's saying my father did. Jesus is saying, my father is the source and I am the supply. How many of us truly believe that Jesus has enough supply for all of us? That there is no limit. There is no end to the supply that is Christ Jesus himself. So yes, the manna was something that God ordained to help Moses, but the true manna now has not come in the Old Testament, but the true manna from heaven was revealed in the New Testament where? In a manger. The manna, the true bread from God, was given to us in a manger. Where? In Bethlehem. Do you remember what the, the, t- the town name of Bethlehem means? Literally, it means house of bread. Isn't your Bible so cool? 
at the house of bread in Bethlehem, in a manger, God delivers and provides his true, lasting, eternal manna from heaven so that we would not only be saved, but we would be satisfied. And yet, we still continue to growl and to grumble. True or false? Tragically true, right? Remember how I talked last week that God has designed our physical bodies with warning systems and signs? So when our physical stomachs get hungry, we start to growl, we start to feel tired, we start to get grumpy. So yes, it is true, tragically, that many Christian individuals, many Christian marriages, many Christian families, and yes, many Christian churches continue to grumble. What is the grumbling a warning sign of? Well, perhaps the church needs to do better. Perhaps there's real issues in the family. Perhaps there's some problems at home with the marriage. But oftentimes, let us be honest, if that grumbling is all we can hear, it could be because at some point along the way, we have settled for some other gospel. Not flat out heresy, but we have settled to find our satisfaction in something else but the bread of life. Many of us are familiar now in today's day and age with gluten-free bread, right? We, as Christians, can sometimes go back to a gospel-free bread. Go back to a form of worship, a form of salvation and satisfaction that has very little to do with Jesus. And we wonder why we're so tired. We wonder why we got very little to give back to God, very little to give to his mission, very little forgiveness left in our hearts because we have stopped somewhere along the way. When did Christianity become something we can do without Christ? May it never be so. Not only of our marriages and our families and our lives, but also of this church. May it never be so. Because when you partake of the true bread of life, what do we do? We turn from the stale bread of secularism. Secularism that says we don't need God. When we taste of the true bread of life, we turn from the moldy bread of legalism. Legalism that says we're holier than God. When we taste of the true bread of life, we turn from the repugnant bread of liberalism. Liberalism that says it's smarter and more merciful than God. No, we want no substitutions. We want to feast and partake upon Jesus, to know him, to be with him, to enjoy him. When we have a delicious meal, do we pound it in our face and say, all right, I hope this is over quick? Do we say, man, that was delicious, but I'm not telling anybody? No, what do we do? We savor it, right? We delight in it, and then we proclaim it. Like all you guys tell me about all your favorite restaurants all the time. And that's natural. When we delight upon Christ, when we understand him truly, truly to be the manna from heaven, that slows down our hunger and replaces it with something that could truly satisfy. Verse 33, Jesus says this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives Life to the, if you're reading along, what's the word? World. Very good. Everybody's following along. 
Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So as a comparison, the manna that was given to Moses only lasted a day. The bread of life that Christ gives us lasts forever. The manna of Moses was only given to Israel. This bread of life given to us through Christ is for the world, for every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's available to all. We can know true satisfaction every single day and not just one day. I heard a story. It was a story about the Allied Nations right after World War II. And as they were trying to pick up the broken pieces throughout Europe, oftentimes there was many children without homes. So they created these orphanages. And the orphanages where these young children were taken care of, they were safe and they had good supply. Yet what they saw was, was that these young children had a hard time sleeping at night. They were often scared, anxious, and they couldn't sleep. One of the chaplains had this idea, and they decided to give a piece of bread to every single one of the nervous, anxious children, but they wouldn't eat that bread before, before they went to sleep. What they would do is hold on to the bread, and what they found was an amazing thing happened. When the children held on to the bread as they slept, they slept peaceably. Why? Because they knew there was going to be food for tomorrow. When we turn to Christ, there is no limit to his supply. The manna from heaven lasted a day. Jesus, the bread of life, lasts forever. The manna from heaven was only for Israel. This bread is the bread for the whole world. Verse 34, the crowd responds and they say, Sir, give us this bread always. This sounds fantastic. Where do we go? How do we get it? Once again, they didn't fully understand it. Now these words, Sir, give us this bread always, should remind us of another conversation that happened. It wasn't a conversation between Jesus and a crowd by a sea, but it was a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well. The Samaritan woman at the well who had very, very um, publicly made poor decisions. And she was living a life of shame. And here is Jesus speaking to someone that the Jews believed to be heretics and half-breeds. And while she's coming to the well, Jesus says, if you asked of me, I would have gave you something that would have welled up to eternal life, living water, so you'll never thirst again. What happens? It would seem like belief happens because the woman runs to the crowd. The woman runs to her neighbors. The woman runs to the very people that she was hiding from, the very people that often probably condemn her and say, listen, friends, listen to him. He might be the Messiah. Is he possibly the Savior? So the exact words that she said when Jesus offered that living water was this, John 4, verse 15, sir, Give me this water. Now, here we are in John 6, 34. The crowd says, Sir, give us this bread always. But how does this play out with the crowd? How does this play out not with a Samaritan woman at the well, but with the crowd that's only looking for their bellies to be filled? Not so well. What's the difference? The difference in the end will be the difference for all of us. 
The difference is belief. The Samaritan woman believed. Not only believed in Jesus, but actually believed what Jesus said. And that's the difference. Because the crowd, as we will see in our future studies, will walk away. When they hear Jesus and his authority, when they hear Jesus and his identity, they will turn from him as they pursue to find a satisfaction for their hunger in something that the world provides. The story continues here in verse 35, our last verse for this morning. Jesus said to them, I love this, friends, listen, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, what does it say? Shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me, what does it say? Shall never thirst. Oftentimes when I've read John chapter 6 in the past, which is all about the bread of life, it's all about bread, there's this one part, this one snippet right here in this chapter, the story of Jesus when he walked on the water and he calmed the waves. Jesus, who spoke peace to his disciples, his followers, when they were nervous and filled with anxiety about their lives. Jesus does something miraculous, but he also says something miraculous. He's not only walking on the waves, but he makes this bold declaration about his divinity. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. If you remember from our study, the actual Greek structure of that it is I is ego eimi. Jesus says, I am. I am. It's the first I am of many I am's throughout the gospel of John. Why would the disciples not be afraid, not only of the wind, but also of Jesus? Why should they have peace in their hearts? Because Jesus is, but also because of who Jesus claims to be. Jesus is using the name and the title that God used for himself in the Old Testament. So here we are. Jesus uses the first explanation of what it means to be the I am. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus will always bring it back to himself. Jesus often answers our questions with this phrase, I am. So when we ask or when people ask, what is the source of salvation? Jesus answers, I am. When we ask, what is the source of satisfaction? Jesus answers, I am. When people ask, where can they find guidance? Jesus says, I am. When people are looking for life, Jesus says, I am. So where do we take all of our I am's? Oftentimes we don't say it, we don't articulate it, we don't speak it out, but we murmur it, we whisper it, we feel it, and oftentimes we're deceived by it. Where do we take all of our I am's? The moments where we say, I am broken. I am lost. I am without hope. I'm a bad father. I'm an overwhelmed mother. I am not a good worker. I am not good with my money or my finances. I am bad at making decisions. I am unable to forgive. I am discouraged. I am downtrodden. And I am on the verge of despair. What should we do with those I am's? Take it to the one who said I am. Take it to the one who is and always will be. The posture to partake of the bread of life is to say that he is and we are not. It's the same posture of John the Baptist. 
when people came to him and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah? All right, when they said to John the Baptist, John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? He had no problem quickly and repeatedly saying, no, I am not. And then he said, behold, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus said, not only I am, but he said, I am the bread of life. You see, in the Gospel of John, we see two things about this life that Jesus gives us. It is eternal, John 3.16, and it is abundant, John 10.10. It is not only quantity and duration, eternal, but it's also quality as far as our satisfaction and our peace. And this is what we see throughout the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible open, follow with me, take notes, circle and underline these words. You're going to see a theme, a powerful crescendo that's going to lead us to where we need to be in our study today. John 6, verse 27 says this. Jesus says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to what? Eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives what? Life to the world. Verse 40, For this, Jesus says, is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have what? Eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 57, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. And last one, verse 58. Whoever feeds on this bread, Jesus says, will live forever. How do we partake of this bread? How do we know this life? We need to come and we need to believe. Jesus says this in verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In coming to Christ, what are we doing? We're turning from everything that keeps us from Christ. We need to separate from our sin. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. You and your sins must separate, or you and your, good, your God can never come together. In coming, we're walking away from our old ways, our old past, and our old ways of thinking. And in believing, we are receiving all the good, all the beauty, and all the grace that our Jesus Christ is. And here is the difference. Here is the crossroads. Here is the rub. Ready? Many people will hear this, believe in Jesus, but not really believe Jesus. Because if we believe what we just heard, then everything changes. Does it not? I mean, friends, right? All of us trying to keep up with the Joneses. All of us trying to work hard to get ahead and to, and to make something, get something out of this life. Friends, Jesus just said it. This is a game changer. This changes everything. If we not only believe in Jesus, but we believe him when he speaks. He said this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is good, beautiful news, but it changes everything. Many of us, tragically, we won't believe Jesus. We'll still hold on to something. 
We'll still say, all right, Jesus, you can have my eternity and my heaven, but you can't have me right now. Because oftentimes we've been deceived. Let me use this analogy as we close our time. There's a book written by an author named John Krakauer. The book is called Into Thin Air. And it describes and it also uh, explains the story of exhibition climbers as they make their impossible trek to the summit of Mount Everest. In the book, it tells the story of one expedition climber, Andy Harris. And it tells a fascinating story that is absolutely apropos and applicable to today's teaching. The story is of Andy Harris as he climbs the summit. And as you can imagine, all of those tens of thousands of feet up, there's very little oxygen. He's running out of air. He's suffocating. So he radios down to the bottom of the mountain to his friends and says, I need air. He says to them, when I was climbing up, I saw air caskets. I saw a cache of air caskets, what they use to ingest some oxygen when the air is that thin. He said, I saw those, but there was no air in them. And then his friends, who literally just made the descent right before him, say, no, Andy, trust us. There's air there. Trust us. There's life there. Trust us. Those canisters, they're not empty. And he won't hear it. He won't believe them. And he says, no, I promise they're empty. I promise there's nothing in there. I promise they were just there. They just breathed it in. They just had life back in their lungs. And Andy, tragically, didn't believe it. And because he didn't believe it, he would not receive it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. We might believe in Jesus. Do we really believe Jesus right now? That he's what our heart has always been looking for. It's always been about him. We're happiest, wholest, and of course holiest when we're close to Christ, partaking of the bread of life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. It's your grace that gives us breath now. It's your grace that's given us life today. It's your grace, God, that's brought us to this church. It's given us this beautiful book. It's your grace that, of course, has given us your Son, our Savior, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Father, we need your grace right now so that we wouldn't just hear with physical ears, but we would be able to hear with spiritual souls. That we wouldn't just be hungry for bread, but we would be hungry and thirsty for Christ and His righteousness. That we would be willing to turn. God, your Bible calls it repent. That we would come to Jesus, many of us admitting we're beggars. Many of us, myself included, first and foremost, We're just beggars looking for bread. So as we come to you with our need, as we come to you with our emptiness, we know that you can fill us up. We know you can forgive us. So friends, I'm going to invite you now in your own words, in your own way, as the piano plays, to do some business with God.
Because we probably all can think of something. Something that God wants. Something that God's commanding us to trust Him with. And it's hard for us to let go of the breads of this world. Would you come to Jesus and believe? Believe what He said today. That He is the bread of life. And He is our soul's ultimate satisfaction. Would you offer up that sin, that pride, that pleasure, whatever it may be, to him in prayer right now? Father God, help us not make the same mistake as the crowd. Help us to be hungry for something better than what the crowd is looking for. Help us truly want to know you and to make you known. Friends, if the Lord so leads, pray this prayer with me and say it to the Lord. Please forgive me of my sin. Fill my soul with Jesus Christ. I'm tired and weary, and I'm hungry for more. Give me the grace to follow him. God, would you help us believe today? In Jesus' name, amen.